Hi, everyone, and welcome to Alien Talk Podcast, where we discuss all things about aliens and UFOs, and where we always push the limits of our understanding. We are Joe Landry and Nori Olford, here with you again for another engaging, entertaining, and enlightening episode that helps expand all of our knowledge. Thank you for joining us as we explore the manifold topics surrounding the idea of extraterrestrial life and the mystery of UFO encounters and other strange phenomena. And as we mentioned last time, uh, both of us had the exciting experience of attending Ancient Aliens Live at the Orpheum Theater in Phoenix, Arizona, back on January 26th, uh, over two weeks ago now. It was a very informative symposium, and today we'd like to share with all of you some of the main points that we took away from it. Uh, before we start, though, Lori, I think you would agree with me that it is definitely a worthwhile event to go to, especially if you have a really a real strong interest not only in the ancient astronaut theory, but also in some of the more contemporary issues pertaining to UFO disclosure and what the government is doing about some of these more you know well-known cases. Uh, we had a really nice time, and I think we took some pretty good notes, don't you? Hey, Joe. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Um, and I know we've heard from a few listeners who have said that they plan on being live when it comes to their city. Um, I would say that if you are able to attend it, um, if you're able to fit it into your busy schedules, it is definitely worth it. Uh, the cost of the tickets ranges from $85 to $200. Uh, in fact, I, I swear I saw it somewhere. Um, it was as low as 50 to 60 bucks. Um, I guess it depends on what city you're in. Um, uh, the more expensive ones include, you know, the times for after the show, such as the question and answer period, as well as, you know, the photo ops with the, uh, celebrated hosts that being uh Giorgio Sukolos, uh, Travis Taylor, William Henry, um, David Childress, and Nick Pope. And uh Joe and I got the cheapest tickets <laughs> that were available. And uh and we, I mean we still we still had good seats and you know we got a lot out of the whole presentation as a whole and it's uh it's worth it. Uh, uh, just to go and, and be in the company of other people who share and interest and are excited about hearing about this whole subject matter. Right. And that was probably the first thing that I noticed while being there. And, and that is the tremendous enthusiasm that is out there among people wanting to know more about extraterrestrial encounters, both in the present and in the distant past. Uh, the place had an atmosphere of excitement and even yep. a passion for the whole thing. And the entire auditorium was almost completely full. And I've heard in some cities that the event has indeed sold out. So folks really are eager to learn more about all this stuff. And I also noticed that it was a pretty diverse audience. It seemed like there were people from many different backgrounds, many different walks of life, and many different age groups. It wasn't all just a bunch of sci-fi aficionados, trackies, um, uh, they were people who were churchgoers and educators and government slash law enforcement types like you and me, Laurie. Um, so if you do wish to go to Ancient Aliens Live, uh, fret not, no matter who you are or what your occupation is or what your belief system is, you will fit in. I think the only requirement really is to have an open mind. Uh, and we're not <laughs> trying to promote the History Channel here, um, but... I think it's fair to make the statement that if you are a fan of that show, and many people are, then you will truly enjoy seeing it live. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I think if you possess any amount of genuine curiosity about extraterrestrials coming here to Earth, 
then you will belong there at that symposium. Uh, the tone of all of it was very relaxing, truly enjoyable. Um, Joe and I got to meet a few people. Some of them asked about the podcast from seeing the shirts we were wearing, of course. <laughs> and uh, But we were able to you know, get rid of all of our business cards. <laughs> and um, and there were there certainly were some key points that we took away from from there. Um, we'll try not to give away too many spoilers as to what the panel specifically said, but uh, we'll review some of the topics they brought up and uh, and give our thoughts on them. Yeah, so it started with the panel being introduced by Nick Pope. And they each explained uh, which ancient monument was most significant in supporting their notion that aliens had visited us far back in Earth's past. You know, Stonehenge, Baalbek, uh, the Giza pyramids. So they each spent pretty much equal portions of time uh, to share their own thoughts on the whole theory, as well as uh, to share some of the findings that they had personally come across from their travels from around the world. Yeah, and one thing that really grabbed my attention right away was when uh, William Henry said that he's excited because of the belief that these ancient beings, uh, these gods, so to speak, are coming or they are on their way back to us, uh, I believe, as has he put it. Now, you know, after I heard this, I immediately thought of the Christian belief about, you know, the rapture of the church. And, uh, but, you know, believing the way I do now, I, I had a bit of a, a chill run down my spine. And this was because it it felt more real, um, like it sounded more real. Not like something fabricated by theologians or pastors, but, you know, like it could be an actual reality. Um, uh, so let me explain. Like, um, I, I think the ancient alien theory makes the invisible bearded man in the sky theory fall apart because it is a more logical explanation for our existence with it our the, the ancient alien theory our origins can be attributed to something that is tangible not invisible so even if we don't have the quote-unquote smoking gun evidence that ets exist we know that if they do exist then they're not some abstract supernatural entity or entities uh, that can't be defined in ordinary language. They would be flesh and blood, just like us. Like You know what I mean? Yeah, I think I know what you're saying. Yeah, if they do exist, then they are corporal beings, just like us. Uh, therefore, that makes their existence, you know, ontologically speaking, more likely. Uh, we know that our existence as corporal beings is real. So if they exist in the same way as we do, uh, such that they could be seen with our own eyes, uh, just like as we are seeing with other people's own eyes, then they are more likely to be proven as real, more so than a being that cannot be seen, uh, such as God cannot be seen with our own eyes. Yes. So then I began to wonder about the whole ancient alien TV show and how it's like almost at 20 seasons now. So there's a lot of interest in it, it became very popular. And this got me thinking, what if this was a government plan, like a plan to have a show and series like this to air in order to prepare the masses for their return? So think about it. If we did not have, you know, the ancient alien series or the many you know, sci-fi invasion movies and the many books, then something happened to where these beings just showed up unannounced. How would we handle it? 
of so is there a master plan or is there a hidden agenda by the powers that be to prepare the masses for what's to come? In other words, is there hidden propaganda to get our society ready? Well, it, it's hard to say. I, I, it could be that William Henry and the, the rest of those guys on the panel, you know, maybe aware of something that the rest of us are not. I mean, they've been involved in this uh, research for a very long time. Uh, maybe they are limited um, by whatever powers to be uh, from from you know, talking too much about it or providing too many details, uh, just enough to kind of whet our appetites. Exactly. So maybe they can only divulge so much um, so has to you know, get you thinking and questioning things, but not enough so that the smoking gun is revealed and the world has now received defense. are not alone so it seems that they are trying to ease us into accepting this and maybe just maybe uh, they have a set time period to get us on board well i'm I'm most of the population anyway now now we were um also very intrigued by what they uh, had to say about the uh, ley lines which you know those are the imaginary lines that align all of the significant uh, monuments and mythological sites around the globe. Uh, even though we discussed ley lines back on our episode about the 33rd parallel, we actually discovered um, uh, some shocking new information about them that night. Because apparently they discussed this topic on one of their episodes that we must have missed. Huh, Joe? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Well, Giorgio Sukalos discussed how these the ley lines appear to be like marks left behind. Um, by those who came from the stars hundreds of thousands of years ago, um, according to what they were saying. And this was so that they left the claim upon the earth uh, or their way of leaving, like what they call maybe the foot fingerprints uh, on the earth, indicating that they were here. Uh, interestingly, he pointed out on a map of Western Europe uh, that shows a ley line connecting 12 cities, starting in England, going through France, and ending in Italy. And all of them fell right on that line, and all of them, like uh, Calais, uh, Elise, and uh, Vercelli, just to give a few, uh, have some derivation in their names coming from the words meaning star. The implication being that extraterrestrial activity was witnessed at these places by prehistoric people, and the significance of them going to and coming from the stars was preserved in the names of those places. And they all happen to fall along the same ley line that goes from England to Italy. Yeah, the ley lines follow what seem to be uh, similar to the Sumerian flight path. Well, I should say the uh, Anunnaki flight path uh, map, which uh, began at Eridu. Um, and then it went to Larza, then to Nippur, Bad Tibera, then to Larik, uh, Sapar and then to Shurapak and Lagash. And they both go toward the northwest from the southeast. And, I mean, perhaps we'll go ahead and put up uh, the two as a comparison, but uh, these maps uh, are like ancient flight paths and landing sites. Um, and most likely it, it was for these extraterrestrial visitors, most possibly um, the Anunnaki. Um, and these cities are are all on a 45-degree uh, angle through the Ararat Mountains. Um, so, I mean, what... 
right? Yeah, right. Uh, you know, and that also brings us to the next uh, point that they brought up here was, you know, David Childress uh, said something about the mysterious colossal head statues of Veracruz uh, from the Olmecs who dwelt in, along the Gulf Coast of Mexico uh, from 1500 to 900 B.C. Uh, and there's a debate among scholars as to what they actually represent. Some like uh, Polish anthropologist Andrzej Wierczynski who in an article by Boyce Rensberger with Science Digest dated September of 1988, claimed there is reason to, to suggest that they exhibit characteristics that are different from the other works of the region, uh, that they may show an influence from African cultures. Now, the Olmec civilization is the oldest one in Mesoamerica. The other ones like the, the Mayan, the Aztecs, and the Toltecs came much later, so and that leads to the speculation that there were shared stories or a shared mythology between, say, the peoples of Egypt and, and Nubia and, and Bantu, maybe even Carthage, uh, with those of the Olmecs, who were almost 10,000 miles away across the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, this is leaving us with the question, could it be because they shared the same experiences preserved in their oral traditions, and those oral traditions being about encounters with alien beings? Well, that's right. Um, I mean, their same stories about ETs would be their same stories about their gods. Uh, it's like mythology from every corner of the earth seems to come from the same source. Um, we've mentioned that many times on our on our uh, episodes, and you know they also brought up the um, the relief that is engraved on the sarcophagus of King Pakal in Palenque. Now, I believe it was Giorgio Suclos that brought it up, but um, it depicts the great Mayan ruler as though he is at the controls of a spaceship that is ready for takeoff. And, you know, we'll go ahead and, and put uh, up some of those pictures of these artifacts and monuments on our website and the social media pages as well. Um, now, of course, it's not a definitive image of him in a spaceship. I mean, then again, what do we have from the ancient world that truly is definitive, right? right. <laughs> um, but it is compelling. And um, they also showed the uh, Fuente Maga Bowl uh, that was found in the Andes Mountains of Bolivia. According to April Holloway with uh, ancientorigins.net, it was dated back in August 25th, 2015. Uh, these are almost considered to be like the Rosetta Stone of the Americas as they have what looks to be cuneiform script inscribed on them. And this raises the question if there is a connection between the Sumerian people in the Middle East with the Amar, the cuneiform script of the Arcadian language, make it all the way to Bolivia. And so did the Anunnaki have something to do with it by coming into contact with humans in both these places? Um, based on Zechariah Sitchin's theory and translations of the cuneiform text found in Nineveh, the Anunnaki discovered Earth while looking for gold. And this is much like how the Spaniards discovered the Americas, and they laid claim to it. And he expounds on that notion to say that the Anunnaki were limited to, or not limited to, uh, arriving in the Middle East, but in but to many other different parts of the world. So could the cuneiform uh, script be some kind of script that was learned by humans by mimicking some kind of symbology that belonged to an extraterrestrial race. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I mean, 
Yeah, could it be that cuneiform is a uh, symbology uh, learned from something beyond this world? And, and that is sort of what these those guys were alluding to uh, <clears throat> at the ancient uh, astronaut, uh, ancient aliens live event. <clears throat> and, and they did spend a, a good bit of time on, on stage describing how there are so many monuments and artifacts throughout the world that are very mysterious, uh, how and why they were made. You know, seems to defy any empirical or scientific explanation, at least from our modern day perspectives. And that kind of led to the discussion uh, then changing to more uh, of our present time and how these mysteries, they haven't stopped. Uh, We all know very well that the notion of alien life uh, either being discovered in outer space or coming here to Earth, it has completely permeated all of our societies uh, all over the world. Uh, the theory that is not only did we encounter them in the past, but we are still encountering them to this very day. And then there was, I guess, uh, I don't know what you call it, a bombshell announcement that they made. Um, and like we said, we don't want to give too many, uh, give away any spoilers here and divulge too much. Uh, so how do I put this? Well, let's just go with saying that there, there's an actual liaison uh, on the uh, ancient alien show who was with the U.S. government's UAP task force. And that's that thing that they awkwardly call the AMSOC, which means Airborne Object Identification and Management Synchronization Group. Uh, a terrible acronym. <laughs> and that's what they came up with. Uh, so when the Director of National Intelligence and the Undersecretary of Defense, they gave a congressional report to the House Intelligence Subcommittee this past summer, that acronym was used. Regardless, um, you know, one of the regulars on Ancient Aliens is now assigned to AMSOC. Uh, presumably more will come on that later as to who it is. Uh, we don't want to be the ones that give it away. <laughs> uh, or, or else you'll just have to attend one of those Ancient Alien Lives um, symposiums that are coming to your area to find out. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, to correlate with, with that news, uh, they brought up you know, very briefly something they called the NASA Project. Now, there are hundreds of NASA projects, uh, but it could very well be that they um, were referring to it as uh, an independent study team set up to investigate UAPs. Um, This is actually found on NASA's own website blog dated back uh, June 9th of last year, um, the one conducted uh, that they did in uh, December of 2022, and it was titled NASA to Set Up Independent Study on unidentified anomalous phenomena. And this is where, you know, the study uh, was to focus on uh, uh, looking for and identifying uh, or having the data um, that would be best collected now for the future stuff, the future data. And how was NASA uh, was going to use that data to move or to understand the science um, of the UAPs. Um, and they also said that the Department of Defense is being given new provisions by Congress. And this allows UFO cases to be reopened with an earlier time period, uh, going back to 1945 instead of um, 1947. Now, this would then include the investigation into the Trinity incident, which was a reported a crash of an avocado-shaped object outside of San Antonio, Texas, where a, a couple of kids, I believe, uh, reported seeing it crash and 
you know, discovered two or three, I don't know, praying mantis-like beings uh, standing outside of it. And that happened in August of 1945. And this was two years before Roswell. And also, um, this was also two years before Kenneth Arnold had coined the term flying saucer, you know, from his Mount uh, Rainier sighting. Uh, the Trinity incident was kept under even more secrecy than others like uh, Roswell and Washington, uh, D.C. lights. In fact, the story of it was virtually blotted out from any record or anyone's memory, for that matter, for a very long time. So it seems like a lot of people at the top want to know more about extraterrestrial encounters that have been reported uh, over the decades going as far back as possible. Right. And that's what seems to be very noteworthy. It, it seems that the direction the government is going with the study of UAPs under the U.S. House of Representatives subcommittee is the demand for more investigations, more documentation, more disclosure, you know, overall more answers. I mean, by going back to try to reopen the case about that Trinity incident with the, the praying mantis aliens coming out of the, the craft, uh, yeah, that was sort of blotted out from uh, the records. There's not much really said about that. You hear about Roswell a lot, but you don't hear about you know, Trinity. Um, this could mean that there's there could be a flood of review studies on the horizon that will bring to light a lot of more information uh, that has been capped up and hidden over the, the years and over the decades. Um, you know, just think of what could be learned from all the files that are under Project Blue Book. So if there is a, a real serious uh, intention to find out the truth about these reported sightings, then we may be in for a significant paradigm shift about how these reports are handled. And that is exactly what was mentioned at the symposium. Uh, even astrophysics professor Avi Loeb of Harvard University has stated in his article with Scientific American, uh, dated April 1st of last year, that more of mainstream astronomy is encompassing the notion that the existence of extraterrestrial intelligence is well within the reach of being discovered. We'll be back after a quick break. Hi, and welcome to Hiss and Tell, a cat podcast where we delve deep into the fascinating world of feline behavior with your host, me, Christina Wilson, a professional animal behaviorist. Each episode features insightful discussions with leading veterinarians, dedicated researchers and scientists, experts in cat behavior and training, and so much more. Join me as we decode the complexities of pet loss, unravel the mysteries of feline health and behavior, and discover the latest research findings. I'll meet you at Hiss and Tell. Yeah, and Ave Loeb is a world-renowned expert in astrophysics uh, who actually corresponds regular, regularly with the directors of NASA and uh, the Office of National Intelligence. So it's pretty apparent that the idea of alien contact isn't being shrugged off by people in the scientific community or in the government. Um, not, now, interestingly, uh, Skinwalker... Um, Going on to the next topic, Skinwalker Ranch was brought up for um, uh, by the panel of, of course, a a lot of uh, strange mystery there, um, which has been shown on Ancient Aliens. Uh, I think Travis Taylor, who I think has a, a PhD in something like applied physics or aeronautical engineering or something, is uh, is big into the investigations that are going on there. And he, I mean, he's the main host of the show, uh, Skinwalker Ranch on the Ancient Aging Series. 
And the types of sightings and close encounters that have been reported are quite varied and, and prolific. Skinrocker Ranch is like a paranormal hodgepodge of all kinds of phenomena, UFOs, orbs of light, uh, electromagnetic abnormalities, uh, space-time distortions, and I guess even ghosts. So it's a, it's a place in northern Utah that has uh, pretty much everything going on there. And there still really isn't any sound and valid scientific uh, explanation. Um, right, for sure. It, it is kind of um, baffling. Um, but you know, now there was also a corollary of the strange activity at Skinwalker Ranch with the famous gimbal uh, FLIR video, uh, which was recorded by Navy F-18 fighters from the USS Roosevelt, you know, off the coast of Florida in 2015. You know, much like the sim, uh, similar Tic Tac video from 10 years prior. And as pointed out by Kyle Mizokami with uh, Popular Mechanics, dated September 17th. Uh, 2019, the object is seen exhibiting inertial and speed vectors that defy the laws of motion and momentum as we know it. It travels exceptionally fast and changes direction on a dime. Yeah, and now Travis Taylor seemed to suggest that this kind of maneuvering is what was uh, or has been witnessed uh, with the if uh, UFOs at Skinwalker Ranch. Um, he also went on to describe a kind of shell that is evident in the uh, uh, infrared footage that surrounds the objects and put forward the uh, hypothesis that uh, the reason they are observed moving the way they do is because they are encapsulated inside of a quantum bubble um, in, inside of uh, which the laws of physics don't seem to apply as they do outside of it. And this was shown on one of the Ancient Aliens episodes about the uh, Tic Tac and you can see the craft is surrounded by this glow, and uh, this is similar to what you know some believe is a warp drive, um, uh, which propels the craft forward while it is protected into this bubble uh, that is invisible to the naked eye. Yeah, and he also talked about something that he called layered exotic materials, which might be actually located deep within the ground at Skinwalker Ranch. And based on how it was illustrated, it seems to suggest that the extraction of whatever those materials are play a significant part in this advanced quantum research believed to be done by the military, uh, something that would certainly be highly classified. And I think what he was trying to say is that uh, this so-called bubble surrounding the UAP would be something like a singularity, uh, a point in which gravity electromagnetism and nuclear forces become so intense that the curvature of space-time becomes ill-defined. And this is where in theoretical physics you get the concept of black holes and wormholes. And if you remember, uh, Bob Lazar made a, a similar assertion when he went public about the projects going on at Area 51 uh, with what he said about Element 115 and how its atomic structure can alter uh, in a way that is a re tremendous release of energy, <clears throat> enough energy to bend space on a very localized level. And and this is what he claimed was the drive principle for something like warm warp engines and for something like light speed travel. Yeah, correct. And uh, then there was also the talk about plans to return to the moon. Um, and it was brought up by David Childress that humans will soon be able to regularly travel to the moon. 
and that he guarantees that we will be able to explore the alien ruins that are up there. Uh, the same can be said of expeditions to the planet Mars, whose surface has already been photographed by unmanned spacecraft with anomalous features that some people think are remnants of alien civilizations. So, you know, they left everyone with the impression that there is more going on and on Mars than meets the eye. Now, I remember speaking to a former astronaut who showed me a few photos of, you know, rubble on the moon, um, which to me looked like toppled Greek ruins. And you, you never know if there is something uh, on both the moon and Mars that our government may know about and refuses to disclose uh, at this point, because many people, perhaps even most people, would not be able to handle such a truth bomb. And that's why NASA, um, you know, never a straight answer <laughs> is said to mean, you know, never a straight answer. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, just like FBI means Federal Bureau of Illusions. <laughs> uh, now, now in, at the end, um, Nick Pope asked a few prepared questions to each one of them. And one of those questions was, you know, what would be the first thing you would ask a real alien if you ever encountered one? Um, Travis Taylor's answer to this was, are you going to eat me? <laughs> now, <laughs> as cute and humorous as that is, it, it does raise a good point. And that is the question, do you have any malicious intentions with our species and with our planet? Which is a valid question with a valid concern. Uh, I will probably be concerned about that, too. I know I wouldn't be. Uh, I wouldn't want to end up on a, on a menu. I'd probably be too chewy and gamey anyway. <laughs> I don't think that's a thought we want to leave with our listeners, Laurie. <laughs> but um, and like we mentioned a few times before, you know, there is a real possibility that first contact, you know, a global wide encounter with an alien arrival could potentially be calamitous and very disruptive. Uh, not only could we anticipate things like widespread panic, but it could also be expected that the alien's agenda uh, the aliens' interest and their, you know, aliens' ambitions are not likely to be the same as ours. So while we hope that wouldn't be the case, there is a reasonable chance that the aliens coming here might have intentions that are uh, harmful to us. So uh, I thought that was a noteworthy point that he that he made. You know, they may not be coming here in peace. Yeah, for sure. And uh, William Henry's answer to that same question seemed a little awkward and peculiar, at least I thought so. And it was, are you here to learn from us and to become spiritually enlightened? And I suppose the reason I find that response strange is that it gives to the aliens that role of student and us as teachers instead of the way uh, or the other way around. And that's just not consistent with our understanding of extraterrestrials. I mean, in all of our religious traditions after God's coming here to teach us, not to uh, to be taught by us. So um, I don't agree with that sentiment. Um, I don't see how a civilization from you know a distant world that is so advanced that it is capable of interstellar space travel would seek enlightenment from us, uh, who are clearly less evolved as a species. Certainly, if we are to believe that the Anunnaki played a big part in our creation as his core tenet in the you know ancient astronaut theory, uh, then it seems odd to think that the creators would seek advice from you know that which they created. Just my opinion. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that is a, a valid point. Uh, you know, we as humans definitely have a lot of problems here, 
you know, with religious and theological disputes being at the center of much of it. So it's hard to fathom why a sophisticated and highly technological alien race, uh, even if they have their own kind of struggles and problems, uh, would, would find something like spiritual enlightenment down here. You know, like you said, Laurie, it seems like they would be more in the position to show us something like that instead of being shown that by us. But I think overall, you know, the tone of the whole dialogue at the symposium was that we are entering a new era in the understanding of UFOs and also a real yeah. seriousness in the exploration of extraterrestrial life in the hopes of truly achieving it. You know, our political leaders are asking more questions, which has led to the congressional hearings within the last few years and the implementation of more, you know, transparent research programs. Uh, the aim of this seems to be to facilitate more disclosure in the public forum. Of course, national security always takes priority in these matters, but it seems that the theme that I notice the most from watching shows, um, you know, like Ancient Aliens, is that people are be demanding truthfulness now. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, there's a sort of social movement taking place in which much of the free world finding is less tolerable to have a, um, a lot of the official information being about UFOs being kept under tight lock and key. Um, we now even have a more specific and succinct use of language concerning UFOs to extend to the meaning of, of UAPs, or unidentified aerial phenomena, which uh, refers to a more general illustration of spectacle you know, that's seen in the sky. So basically, UFOs are now things considered to fall under the bigger umbrella of UAPs, which refers to any anom uh, anomalous sightings, such as orbs uh, and stratospheric sprites and glowing mists, even ball lightning. So um, this in and of itself is a paradigm shift the government and um, uh, by the, uh, the government and academia. But in all, uh, we really did have a wonderful time at the event and uh, we even discussed the uh, topics on our long drive home. And, uh, and we're very excited to bring uh, you all these uh, tidbits of information. And uh, we wish we could have uh, met some of our, you know, listeners there. So, you know, maybe next time. Um, but we did not, uh, you know, elaborate on some of the uh, topics they discussed because, you know, we have discussed many of them on, in our previous episodes as well. So, um, there wasn't anything that they, you know, brought up that we already uh, didn't spend time talking about, I don't think. Yeah, and it was certainly worth the time and cost to attend. And we hope some of you get the chance to go to Ancient Aliens Live if it comes to a city near you. So uh, that's all for today. Uh, for next time, uh, we have a really interesting show lined up. Uh, at least I think so. Yes. Uh, well, some of you may remember from way back about a year and a half ago now from our two-part episode about the extraterrestrial connections found in Mormonism that we had on two guests, uh, Ryan and Mike, who were former Latter-day Saints, who you know, talked about how a lot of the imagery and symbolism from their religion was immersed in interplanetary and interstellar depictions. Well, Ryan will be joining us again next time as we spend a good bit of time comparing the, and contrasting the cosmological approaches of the ancient astronaut theory to that of atheism. Um, should be a very good discussion, maybe even a little heated. 
Well, at least zealous. <laughs> uh, I mean, we we always have a nice time with our guests, uh, and, and Ryan is a, a good friend of ours, uh, and that's why we like to mess with him. <laughs> Just kidding, Ryan, <laughs> if you're listening. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, Super Bowl Sunday is here. Uh, Super Bowl Fifty Seven. Uh, for all of you NFL fans out there who will be watching the big game, we hope that your team wins. I think I'll keep that pretty neutral. <laughs> so thanks for being with us today, and we look forward to joining you again next time right here on Alien Talk Podcast. Stay curious. That's right, folks. Uh, and don't forget to check out our new website at www.aliantalkpodcast.com and send us any of your thoughts, suggestions, or questions. Joe and I are pretty good at responding back to people in a reasonable amount of time. Um, and I think we're pretty prompt with that. So uh, we hope to hear from you, some of you, and, uh, and we look forward to you know, being with you again on our next episode. So bye, everyone.